ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Game Changer. And we are going to be talking about changing your game in the area of communication. And the book we're going to be talking about today is Communicate Like a Leader, Connecting Strategically to Coach, Inspire, and Get Things Done. And I'm pretty sure that our author has been looking over my shoulder because I've had a bit of a challenging week on this front. So let me introduce to you our guest today, Diana Boer. Diana, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Well, like I said, the timing couldn't be better. I'm in in the uh, process of launching my new tech startup venture. And I, well, it's not really a startup. We've been doing it for uh, for a couple of years now, but we're really uh, getting to the place where I finally have a team. I'm not I'm not a solopreneur anymore, which I was for quite a while, and I'm having to rehone my own communication skills. So this this could not be better, Diana. Before we dive into the book, can you give us a thumbnail about you? Well, I have spent my entire life on communication <laughs> because I think it's it's the basic business act. So uh, I have started out trying to figure out how I could stay at home and make a living doing that. You know, right. you can't make a living smiling, so you've got to make – I couldn't be a politician <laughs> because I couldn't smile enough, don't lie enough to be a politician. So I just think that's the, the basis of, of everything you do. And um, so I just started out thinking, what could I do to – stay at home with my toddlers. My husband was suffering from a major, um, major, major depression. He couldn't work. And so I thought, how can I make a living? I went to a friend of mine and said, how can I make a living? He used to like to write uh, compositions in school. Right. And he said, uh, you know, I don't know how you're going to make a living doing that, but I suggest you find out. <laughs> I, right. This was back in the 80s. I went to the library, checked out all these books on, uh, on how, to, how to write, and came home and taught myself how to write and so I started writing books and companies started calling me and saying can you come out and teach our people how to do this and that's what I've been doing for my entire life I've, I've never done anything else except teach school when while I was trying to finish my master's right, degree right right yeah it. so this this book is not your first rodeo you have got just a <laughs> wealth of resources so uh when when folks are are finished listening to us today i i urge them to go go check out uh you know just all of the different things you've written because they're they're again it's just such a wealth of resource but let's let's talk a little bit about this particular book and why you felt like you needed to talk about the strategic aspect uh, of communication uh, for leaders specifically well, that's because, you know, during this whole time, you know, I said I've been writing for 30 years, I've been talking to strategic leaders because that's, that's what pulls me in. Those executives at different companies, when I would go on TV to do a little blurb on the book, executives would call and say, come out and talk to us about this problem. So I was always in touch with entrepreneurs and senior executives, and they had a problem. Everybody right. had a problem. And so that's how I got into it because it was real-world 
real problems. You know, this division doesn't talk to that division, or this vice president doesn't like that vice president, and they want him out of here. And so it's just always about an issue. You know, we're losing, we can't get women promoted to the top, or, or you know, the customer service problem, something. And so almost every book it was the result of some executive strategic problem. Right. Now, you, you start out the book by talking about the challenge of leadership communication, and, and one of the things that you mention is that people get promoted because of they've mastered some, you know, some skill or, you know, they have a, a set of knowledge and, and experience that, you know, is, is needed to expand, but quite often you get promoted and you don't have any real experience in effectively communicating and especially effectively communicating as a leader with teams. So uh, I came out of a background, and we were talking before we got on the air about, about my time with American Airlines Sabre. And I happened to be the kind of individual that got every special project. And I realized later it's because I was a consultant at heart, right, whether I was in an yeah, internal right. role. And, and so I was always what we called, lovingly, an individual contributor. Well, eventually, individual contributors usually get tapped for some leadership role, and all of a sudden you've got a team. And that happened when I worked, uh, moved over to Worldspan, which was at the time owned by Delta Northwest and TWA. And so all of a sudden I had a team of 100 people and then figured out that I wasn't a very good manager of people because mm-hmm. of that, that issue of, of really connecting with them and, and, you know, that, that nurturing side of thing, which I was in a different line when they were handing out the nurturing piece. <laughs> so <clears throat> let, let's talk about this long-term investment in, in people and, and the payoff that you get from doing that when you invest in this ability to communicate. Well, I, I think it's enormous because what happens when you, when you don't invest, you have a situation like, like what happened with, with Eleanor Obviously, her name changed to protect the guilty, but she, she, you, you tend to, to micromanage. I had this lady call me. I'd worked with her daughter a couple of years earlier. To, she had, uh, it was family business, a large, they're all over the United States, large chain of commercial realtors. And I'd worked on her daughter as she graduated from uh, grad school. She wanted her to, to move up into the executive ranks of this family business. But two years later, the, the mom who was you know, the CEO of the company, calls me up and she says, Diana, can you come out here this morning? I've got to talk to you. Now, we don't usually get calls like that, you know, at right. the consulting firm. And I said, what can you, it, can you tell me what this is about? No, I just need to talk to you today. And I said, it, I mean, is this um, a, a man in general communication or management issue? I, I, I don't know. Just, I just need to talk to you this morning. And I probed a little bit more, and she says, and then she, her, she got her voice broke, and I thought she's about to cry on the phone, and I, thought, I don't get executives about to cry. On the phone. <laughs> and and so I say, well, you know, can you? Is this, you know, a family uh, an issue with your daughter? And she said, I don't know what it is, but every problem lands on my desk. I mean, they walk right past my daughter's desk, and they nobody gets along with each other. They if it's a sale going south, whatever it is, every decision lands on my desk. Can you get out here today? And I said, just a minute. I'll check my calendar. I came back on the line and I said, all right, I'll rearrange things and I can come out there today. And she says, okay, then send me a proposal and I'll get back to you tomorrow by the end of the week. (laughs) 
And immediately, <laughs> I knew what the management problem was. <laughs> immediately, you know, no diagnosis needed, no research needed. This is a wow. lady who, just like you, you mentioned, has, has risen up right through the ranks. She's grown her company. It's a huge conglomerate now. But she has surpassed her management skills. And, and that's what happens a lot of times. People are, they, they don't have the leadership communication skills and the strategic thinking and planning they need. And, and they're just driving themselves nuts because they, they're not at that level to communicate and help people grow their own career. And it, it drives them crazy and obviously the people who work for them. No kidding. So, so how, how do you get them to, to recognize uh, that? I mean, because clearly awareness is, you know, the, the first path in figuring out how to correct uh, the issue. Well, I think they have to become aware when they come to their end of the rope, you know, when it, when it is so overwhelming that you get in the state that she was in. When you see, when they see how it can be, when they see other successful people who have a a calm life, who are not stressed like that, and they see this is so painful that I'm in that they have to make a change. You know, just like your game changer show title, when they say I have to have a game changer, I cannot continue like that. And then they're willing to make a change. But I think the pain has to get bad enough for them to make a change. They don't know any other way. Right. What What is the one question that, that people need to ask themselves when they're, they're trying to determine where they rank on, you know, a scale of 1 to 10 on their, their leadership communication ability? I think it's not just one question. Um, I, I do talk about the one question that people have to do to ask uh, answer as a as a manager of the book, but the one question I think they have to ask themselves is where they want to be, what workload, and what is the productivity and the outcome that they want to see happen in their organization. Once they get that goal in mind, they're willing to make a change. But until they get that goal in mind and what they're and to see the see the picture of what the outcome could be for themselves. Right. And, for example, when they're still seeing people walk out the door and they're losing their best people and they see that, they don't know what to do. But when they see, gee, I could keep all of these people, you know, they they see the outcome and they right. want that more than the pain. They're willing to make a change. Right. Well, I, I see one of the, the things that you describe in the book is, uh, and, and I think that this is the key one for me, kind of uh, to solve my current issues, um, is making sure that the team knows their deliverables. And it's so funny because I, I think I've done such a good job of letting them know, you know, what we're doing as a whole, how they each fit into that. Uh, but somebody asked me the other day, you know, did you tell everybody on Monday what you want to have done by Friday? <laughs> right? It's like, uh, no, because I, you know, I kind of assume that they know that. Uh, and I suspect that that is more common than than uh, leaders would like to admit. You know, on study after study, you ask leaders, you know, have you given the objectives and does everybody know, you know, what the initiative is for this year, this quarter, whatever? And they'd say yes, but employees say they don't. They're confused. And I I think that what happens is that people equate having information with understanding that information. 
And we know that there's, so there's several ways. You, you know, you've got to repeat it just like advertisers. People, when they advertise on TV or radio, they don't just put out the ad one time and say, okay, people have the information. I, you know, it, this network is watched by 25% of people or 32% of the population. They saw it that night, so they have the information. No, they keep repeating that ad over and right. over and over. But also, you have to amplify it. Once you give a message as, as a leader, you have to say, now what this means to you are, um, let me tell you the implications of what I've just said. Or let me get more specific with an illustration. Or um, let me tell you some of the obstacles you're going to run into. So they keep amplifying on it or interpret it. Let me give you a specific example of how that might translate in your area in the next right. couple of weeks. And once you keep amplifying, then people, the understanding really happens there, not just with that information that they got, you know, delivered <laughs> two weeks right. ago. So I, I think that's where where leaders sometimes miss the boat, thinking that mm-hmm. I gave them the information, therefore it's understood everywhere. Right. Now, you also spend some time in this first section of the book um, talking about culture and character and competency. And and so this is really, um, you know, making sure that you've got the right team on board and, and that the atmosphere that you are creating is one that people will want to stay in. Um, you also mention in this section, you know, and you've already talked about micromanaging and, and negatives. So talk to us a little bit about how you build that that culture. Well, I think you have to hire the right people. And, in fact, one of the chapters I'm I'm talking about, I talk about um, the key questions that you ask when you you interview people. And I think a lot of times people, leaders, entrepreneurs, when they're bringing people on, they hire skills. And I think you can always teach skills. I've found that true. You can always teach skills, but you can't teach character. You can't teach values. And you've got to ask questions that get at those values. And what I tried to do is is to provide nine key questions in there that get at those values. Like, um, you know, tell me, tell me who you admire in the public eye and why you admire them. Well, I'm going to tell you some values when you right. when you hear that. Or, or who 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 have you ever seen mistreated? in in your work experience in the past and what did you do about it first of all i'll tell you what they think is mistreatment and you may or may not agree with that and then when you ask them what do they do about it you see what kind of risk they're willing to take do they stick their neck out or just keep their mouth shut that's going to tell you about courage risk you see how you're getting at some of these and one that i really like to ask when i'm interviewing there there was this children's book called uh, Juice Vierce was the author, and I'm sure if you, anybody who's had kids has read it a thousand times their kid. This is uh, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Have, <laughs> I missed you, that you one somehow. It's about these, you know, this kid that everything terrible happens to him. But you just ask the candidate, have you ever had a really bad day, a week, you know, pick out a day that just everything terrible happened to you? Well, tell me about that day and, and how did you deal with it? And as the candidate goes through that, ask them, you know, oh, you know, that was terrible. How do they describe it? What kind of language do they use? And, mm-hmm. 
and then you ask them, you know, well, how did, how did you cope with it? Well, as you're listening to it, obviously, if you're the owner of the company, you're the entrepreneur, you're the manager, you're thinking, does their definition of a bad day equal what happens around here every day, every week? <laughs> you know? Are they going to be that stressed out just because they had a garage door that wouldn't open that morning? Is that going to make them call in and not show up? You know, if you're in the service industry, that's not going to be good. That person's right. calling <laughs> Just because, they, you know, the car wouldn't start for a few minutes or their child was, you know, had a little upset that morning and crying and that made them three hours late to work. Um, and then you ask, well, how did, how did you cope with it? And if they said, well, you know, I had to call my spouse and blah, 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 blah. Did, could they not even rescue themselves out of that situation? Did they have to right. call a friend? And so you just learn a lot by asking these value questions that have nothing to do with skill. Right. And when you when you put enough of those people together that don't have a value system like your value system, you're building a culture that's <laughs> going to not match what you want to see around your company. Right, right. So let's talk about connecting, uh, because that's an important part of, of this book, is having these strategic conversations that uh, you're very intentional about connecting with your people. Right, right. Uh, I, I think when you connect with people, it has to be genuine. It has to be um, – they have to see you as authentically interested in them. And I think far too many people remain aloof, only interested in the task getting done. And so when you meet somebody in the cafeteria, when you meet them in the hallway, if you meet them in the parking lot coming in, you have to show genuine interest in them. And you, I know people <laughs> pretend to do that. You know, we talk about that in politics all the time. You know, that were they really interested? Were they faking it? But the way you show that, I think, is you remember names. You are willing to do menial tasks if if that's what it takes for you to spend 15 minutes helping somebody do something that needs to be done because you see it right. needs to be done, that communicates, you know, I, I'm not arrogant. Uh, a, a sense of humility is important. Even even things like communicating about what the standards are in the organization. Do you expect them to have to check their email at 11 o'clock every night before they go to bed? You know, are they are they really expected to be on call seven days a week, twenty four hours a day? Just letting people know what the standards are is just a common courtesy. Are right, and I, you know, I think that one's an important one because again, I, I've just been going through this. I, I'm at a stage, and and many entrepreneurs who have have started businesses that are bootstrapped where you've got and you know I lovingly refer to them as my all volunteer army. Now they're not volunteering with no no uh, upside in that clearly. But getting people who are trying to balance other things that they've got going on in their lives and communicating with me, you know, who's trying to keep the train, you know, running and if individuals don't engage and we've actually moved completely out of email because it is such a black hole and people can't manage to request an email. So we've moved to a, a platform called Slack. And I just had a call uh, right before this started with my, my um, chief marketing officer. And I said, you know, listen, you know, it has been 
12 days since you've interacted with me. And he's like, no, no, I, I interacted with you on Monday. And I, I scrolled back through. We were screen sharing. And I said, no, let me show you all the questions I asked you. And uh, he happens to run a, a nonprofit where they rescue teens out of human slavery. And I said, you know, I'm not going to pick the phone up every time I have a question because I quite literally could be interrupting you saving someone's life, and I'm not going to do that, right? But I do need you to interact. And while I don't expect people to check email at 11, they know that I frequently work until midnight. And so before they get embroiled in their day the following morning, I'd love just 15 minutes of their time to go through and see if I asked anything important, right? So learning how to communicate, and, and particularly multi-generationally. I've got a, a multi-generational team where my 20-somethings, you know, I cannot write anything in narrative to them. It has to be bullet points. And, and you know, I mean, yeah. so there's just different things that you have to learn. Um, I want to move on, though. Know, and they need mm -hmm. to know the expectation, what that is, and, you know, yes. what should be documented and what should not be documented. All exactly. of those, that's part of, that's part of connecting with them. And they need to know your expectations. You need to know what works for them and, and right. set it out. What, what's the problem is that nobody knows. Everybody's guessing. And then somebody getting just hostile because they're trying to do something that you didn't even want done to begin with. Exactly, exactly. Let's move on and talk about strategic negotiations. And, and you uh, categorize this as looking for mutual opportunities. Why is negotiating an important part of communicating like a leader? Well, you know, we we negotiate everything. I'm not talking about negotiating price. That's the first thing that comes to mind. But we negotiate deadlines. You, the story you just told about your your staff, you're negotiating how you're going to interact. We mm -hmm. negotiate the delivery date on something, some project. You know, they want it earlier. You want it to put it off until after a, another key project. We negotiate um, how something is going to be done. So I'm speaking here in, this, in Communicate Like a Leader, I'm, I'm talking about it in the broader sense. And I think the way to be successful in any kind of negotiation like that is to look for mutual advantage, mutual opportunities. And what the, the wrong, the mistake, I think, that most people make when they approach it is they think of it as an adversarial thing. If I win, you lose. If you lose, I win. And they they think, all right, where are we? Where's the difference? Where do we disagree? Let's work out those disagreements. And I think the first thought in your mind should be, all right, where do we agree? Where are the mutual wins here? Where are the mutual advantages? And start there because you build momentum. Okay, we agree about this. We agree about that. We agree about this. All right, there's just these these two or three few things where there's disagreement, and there's momentum there. You have, you have uh, a reason to go through those because you've already found so many opportunities to work together. Right, right. <clears throat> well, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it leads right into your next topic, of course, which is about being persuasive, right? Persuading minds and winning hearts. So actually speaking strategically. And you know, I think this is the hardest for, for leaders because, uh, again, they've had lots of time to think about what they're going to say, and they don't realize that it takes other people time to catch up, right, to get on the same page. <laughs> that, I speak from experience, right. of course. <laughs> that's right. And, again, the, the problem here many times is with the, the thought 
But if I just give people a logical case, you know, if I just build a case logically, people will jump aboard. They will cooperate. And particularly, that's the case with entrepreneurs. You know, they go behind closed doors. They think this through. They put together the numbers. They crunch the numbers. They crunch the data. They come out and say, okay, here's a decision. Here's what we're going to do. And they expect everybody to buy in and jump aboard. That does not work because we are human beings and we have emotional reactions as well as logical reactions. So it's great to give the logic behind something and the reasons for something, but you can never expect logic alone to make people cooperate, to to make them decide like you decided to see something, like you see it. it. It has to be both an emotional appeal and a logical appeal. It goes right. all the way back to Aristotle. I mean, they have to believe that you have their goodwill at heart. They have to believe in your integrity, your trust, and they have to have to buy in emotionally and right. logically. And all three of those have to be present. And if you intend to call, your, let's say your customers are C-suite officers, you want to sell at that level, you're a consultant, you're an entrepreneur selling to another business, you have to take into consideration all three of those things. How are you demonstrating your integrity and goodwill toward that person? How are you appealing to them emotionally? And how are you, how are you building the logical case? And if all three of them are not there, you're going to fail. Right. Well, and I love this section where you're, you're talking about storytelling, right? Because at the end of the day, if, if we can be uh, engaging – uh, and you talk about being engaging with great stories, um, but also being brief, right? Because people don't have the time, uh, you know, to hear all of the the reasoning of how you got from there to here. Um, and, and so the next section of your book is about strategic writing and, and actually being able to write to the point. And and again, being brief in in writing. Uh, is way harder than being verbose, uh, you know. And again, I, I'm I'm looking at the in the mirror as I'm saying all of these things. But you know, some people write as they think. You know, they start off once upon a time and they get through all the details and they get to the bottom of the email or, and then they decide, oh, that's really what I want to decide. The problem is they never go back and cross out the first part. Of it. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, you can, you know, you can write while you're brushing your teeth, eating lunch, driving down the freeway. Just throw away all that garbage, and when you actually get to the computer, then you just write the bottom sentence. That becomes mm-hmm. your top-line message. Make your bottom-line message your top-line message. <laughs> so tell me, what, what is the TADA template, the T-A-D-A template? Yeah, I, I say trust that TADA template uh, because that is the four parts of, of – Anything, basically, anything you write, T, top-line message, what is in, a, in one sentence, what is your point? If, if your readers stop, they didn't read anything else but your top-line message, would that be your point? If that, That's the key. And then action. So what action next? What do you want them to do based on that message you're giving them? And then D, go back and give them the details. Generally, that's the how and the why. So you give them your top-line message, then you get tell them what action either you're going to take based on the message or what action you want them to take. Then you go to the details, and then if you have some attachment, you mention the attachment. I've attached here a copy of the contract that I'm referring to. I've attached here a copy of the figures that we used last year to analyze so-and-so. So if you just have those four parts and remember that, you will be able to structure an email, and you don't have to 
sit there and stare at a blank screen for half an hour trying to decide now, how, how do I want to word this? Whether it's a report or an email or a complaint letter or whatever you're trying to put together, just remember, right. ta-da, and you'll have it. Absolutely. Well, that that's very, very helpful. And, you know, I find that I I always read and reread and probably reread again and, you know, always trying to pare down. But I think that model is going to help me uh, a lot. So let's talk um, just super briefly, uh, because we're, we're getting uh, close to the end of our time together, um, about social media, because you, you, I love what you say, use social media strategically, don't spray paint. What's yes. behind that? Uh, a lot of people don't really know why they're using social media, and you need to have a strategy for how you're using it. I recommend you use social media to drive people to your blog. You know, that's, that's because you don't own social media platforms. You own your blog or your podcast, and that's why you're using it, unless you have some other strategy. But do know why you're using it. And then you can't be everywhere. Instead of just, you know, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on Google Plus, you're on everywhere. You may have your profile everywhere so people can find you, but you want them to work your way back to your site. But you only want to actually be active on one or two platforms. Pick the one or two platforms where your audience is, and that's where you really interact and connect with them. Perfect, perfect. So lastly, you talk about strategic meetings, and and I think that is a little bit um, counterintuitive (laughs) because most meetings aren't strategic, right? And and they don't deliver results. In fact, if the last thing that happens in the meeting is scheduling the next meeting, you know you're doomed. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, some people meet just because the clock or or their calendar says it's time for a meeting, and and that's bad. You know, it's it's really bad. You need to have a meeting because there's a purpose for that meeting, and you need to have a structure for it, an agenda. And I, I'm astounded how many companies have meetings, entrepreneurs, well, we have a staff meeting. It's a Tuesday. We have a staff meeting. And the, the agenda is, is, is to a meeting what a foundation is to a skyscraper. I mean, it holds the meeting together. It tells you what you're accomplishing and who's responsible to accomplish that discussion and lead to an analysis and a conclusion and an action. When you don't, you know, what happens is people walk out and they stand in the hall and say, now what did we decide? Now who's supposed to do what? Oh, well, and you come to the next meeting and nobody's done anything. And those are just such useless meetings. Yeah, I, I see. I put meetings in the same category as email. You know, I think they've they have just gotten so out of control and they, they – aren't concise, they don't yield, uh, you know, actual production of work. So uh, I, I'm not, not a big fan. And, that, and that's, why, that's a shame because they can be so useful. They can accomplish so much. I mean, I just did a program in, in meetings not too long ago for a group for, for my church leadership executive. They've got all these executive pastors where they were not leading well. And right. they, they just – it revolutionized what they were able to do with all their volunteer teams because they worked with so many volunteers and they were just walking out of the meeting going, you know, what are we doing? What do we decide? (laughs) Nothing was getting done. And now they, after we did these trial and practice meetings and the, the groups as we practiced, even that day, 
were saying, I can't believe what we've accomplished. You gave us 30 minutes to accomplish. I gave them these missions and, and these meetings, you know, that they were supposed to accomplish. And they were astounded at what outcome they were able to have at the end of 30 minutes. So they can be so relevant and so helpful to an entrepreneur to, to bring in, you know, their clients, their suppliers, and solve problems. But if you don't know how to run them and you and you don't plan them and you don't have a productive agenda, they are the biggest time wasters imaginable. Mm-hmm. Well, Diana, this has just been so great. And again, you have got such a wealth of knowledge that has been uh, packed into each one of your books. And where where do you recommend that people start to learn more about you? If if they had one place they could go, where would you direct them? To booerresearch.com. And my name is kind of tricky to spell. It's Boo Her, except I hope they don't. But B-O-O-H-E-R, <laughs> Well, com- coming up to, uh, to Halloween, Boo Her actually fits. So yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, it is uh-huh. a, a perfect way. And, again, on that site, it, it talks about Diana's uh, speaking business and her coaching business. So if you want to order her books, you can do that from there. But if you want her to come and speak to your organization or your company or, or that your company or, or you as an individual need coaching, uh, it also shows you how to connect with her. So Diana, thank you so, so much for giving us your time today. And again, we have been talking uh, about the book, Communicate Like a Leader. and it is connecting strategically to coach, inspire, and above all, to get things done. Diana, thank you so much. You are changing the game for uh, all of your readers and and for your clients, and I, I just applaud you for that. And again, thanks so much for your time. Sure, my pleasure. All right, take care, and we will see you all next week. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.